It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Hi, everybody. It's Martha McCallum, and it is time for the Untold Story podcast. Today, my guest is attorney Brian Claypool, and we're going to talk about a couple of one very big murder case and one case that continues to intrigue the American public. So the first one is Brian Koberger and the murders that he's accused of, of four Idaho college students, a horrific case that happened back in November. And then we're going to dig into this new story about Jeffrey Epstein and his friendship with Bill Gates. So, Brian, thanks for being here today. Always good to have you with us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Martha. Everyone obviously watched this story with horror and a lot of interest because we all send our kids off to college and no one ever thinks that anything like this is going to happen to them. And these four very close friends lived in an off-campus house and they were slain in their beds and the prosecution believes that was done by Brian Koberger. And today he had a big moment in court as this process moves forward after he was indicted. Give us a sense of where we are with all this now, Brian. Yeah, Martha. Yeah, just just so you know, too, I'm a single dad. My daughter's getting ready to go off to college soon. So this 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 hits home with me as well. Yeah. But but today, I think, was was overtaken by what happened a few days ago, which was a grand jury indictment of Koberger. Why was that important? Because that eliminated the need for a preliminary hearing. Remember, that was set for June 26th. And I think the prosecution did a brilliant job of getting a grand jury indictment because what it did is it precluded the defense for Koberger to get a preview of what the prosecution's case was going to be because at the preliminary hearing you would have likely heard from witnesses you would have seen a lot of photographs Koberger's lawyers would have been able to cross-examine witnesses that would have locked them into testimony under oath that could have then Mm. arguably been used to possibly impeach them during trial. So that was a big chess move, I believe, on the part of the prosecutors. Interesting. Um, You know, I just want to kind of take everybody back to November 13th, 2022, because these four individuals, good friends, um, boyfriend and girlfriends, Anna Kernodal and Ethan Chapin. Ethan was a twin. Um, or he, he might have been a triplet, actually, but he has a lovely family and all the family members. A lot of them were there as they have kind of hung together through all of this. The other two young women were best friends, had been best friends since childhood, Madison Mogan and Kaylee Gonsalves. And we have spoken to a number of the family members over the course of covering this case. But they had all been out for the night, gone back from two different parties to social events, the four of them. Uh, in sets of two. And somewhere in the middle of the night, the prosecution believes that Brian snuck into the house and murdered all of them, stabbing them in their beds. Now, one interesting thing that has come up also is this story about him stalking another woman in Washington state. 
and creating a situation where she was afraid that someone had been in her house, had moved things around. And he said, well, let, let's put some cameras in your apartment. And then they believe he started watching her there. So there's a history of odd behavior, to say the least here, Brian. Yeah, Martha, again, if that comes into evidence at trial, then that proves what helps prove that Koberger is really uh, a sick person, uh, that not only is he a pervert and a stalker, but he's then allegedly capable of murdering uh, these young ladies. And if you look at what happened today too, Martha, I mean, I, in my entire career, I've never gone to an arraignment and had a client not plead at all, right? Yeah, that was striking. Today, Tell us about choice. what happened in there today, Brian. Yeah, so so usually your client goes in and it's 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 rudimentary. Oh, I plead not guilty, right? The other option a client has is is to not say a word and be silent, and then the court automatically enters a not guilty plea. So I think Koberger did that because he's a psychopath and he wants to send a message to the world that I'm not going to dignify these all these murder charges. Uh, with a response. I'm not going to respond at all. And Martha, that was another thing that was interesting today. The judge read every single word in the indictment. I think the judge is sending a message to Koberger and also to protect the record that I, w I want the world to hear what you were charged with. Because cases I've seen, usually the judge just says, okay, uh, Mr. Koberger, have you talked to your lawyer? Have you read the indictment? Are you aware of it? Yes, yes, yes. How do you plead not guilty? It would have taken 30 seconds. So he read the entire indictment against him, which is, tell us about the counts that he faces, Brian. Yeah, so the first charge is, is for burglary. And, and, then, and then Martha, the judge even went one step further. He says, I'm gonna talk to you about the maximum consequences and penalties as well. That's unusual as well. And I think he's doing that on purpose too, to send a message and to protect a record on appeal. So that's one to 10 years you can get for the burglary. And then he went through each four additional murder counts and he read in there, you're, you know, you're alleged to have killed Kayla by stabbing her to death. And then you heard sniffling in the courtroom. It was pretty, pretty dramatic. But this judge made a point to read exactly, you know, each of the four first degree murder charges and, and what he did stabbing them to death with malice mm. aforethought, with premeditation. And the maximum penalty you can get, Mr. Koberger, is life in prison or death. And he read that mm. in open court, the judge. You know, there was some early testimony about one of the other inhabitants of this house seeing him, you know, make, making some eye contact. His face was covered, um, but she said that she had opened her door a bit and, and saw someone out there. And I think she went, she testified as to his height and, and body build and, and recognizing him through those things. How, how important is the evidence that is in this case? There's also the knife sheath with some DNA on it and the car that they picked up on video. Talk to us about this evidence. Yeah, yeah, great question, Martha. Two of the three pieces of evidence you just mentioned, we know about. So we know about the knife sheath was, that was left on the bed that, that prosecutors have said have Koberger's DNA on it. If that's true, he's in a heap of trouble. Why? Because he's there at the scene of the crime and the scene of the murders. That is the most pronounced piece of evidence ever. Then you've got 
the alleged eyewitness of the female roommate that survived. She sees Koberger walking out. She identifies his bushy eyebrows as well. That, again, puts him at the scene of the crime with a mask running out of the room. The third element of evidence, which gets to my point earlier, we don't really know what DNA evidence they have, for example, in Koberger's car. We don't know exactly what, uh, if there's any blood evidence uh, or DNA evidence in Koberger's apartment or at his parents' home in Pennsylvania. And that's the third component that I think the prosecution, Marcia, they did a good job of not having to preview any of that because they went and got that grand jury indictment. Yeah. Um, you know, talk to us a little bit about what will be allowed here. We talked a moment ago about prior stalking that was alleged of Koberger, you know, whether or not. And, and that makes me wonder, you know, how much time he had spent around this house. And given that creepy behavior, if it's substantive, um, whether or not he had been inside the house before, whether or not he knew where everybody slept. Yeah, so so this creepy behavior by Koberger months before where they have him on, on videotape casing the area, I believe that does come into evidence to prove premeditation. Premeditation is one of the elements you've got to prove in a first-degree murder case, and that's how prosecutors are going to show that he was casing the area, he was checking out the house, Who's hanging out in front of the house like that at three in the morning, months before? And and I think that is going to be devastating to Koberger's defense to prove premeditation. Because I remember when you had me on your show, right when this all came down, I, one of the points I made was, where do they get the premeditation, right? Mm -hmm. Where do they prove that he, for example, was inside the house prior to that? Or, or that he had any interactions with any of the victims on social media? And if prosecutors don't have that, they now have this videotape of him stalking and casing the area months before. I'm not sure that other evidence comes in that you talked about with this other woman where he set up photographs in a room. I'm not sure that's going to come in because that might be too prejudicial. But if it establishes a, a prior behavior of, of stalking and entering someone else's house, uh, why would that not be allowed? Yeah, that's a close call. I mean, it, it, it could very well come in to show that Koberger has a pattern and a propensity. It's called propensity evidence, that he has a propensity of behaving a certain way. We see this often in sexual abuse cases, right? A, a, an assailant, uh, you know, spikes a, another woman's drink, assaults her, and now he did it to this woman to, to show a pattern. So it might very well come in uh, to evidence to show that he was, that he then was engaging in a similar pattern of stalking these four young ladies as well. You, you're right, it might come in. Um, I, I'm not sure the prosecution actually needs it. And it's a balancing test too by the judge, Martha. So even if it's relevant, the judge has to decide, is it too prejudicial to Koberger to let it in? If it is, they, a judge won't let it in. But you're right, it might very well come in. What do you think are the chances, given the fact that he was silent today, that he will or will not testify on his own behalf? Yeah, I think that, that's always a game time decision for defense lawyers. I mean, let's face it, Koberger's defense team really only has one defense, and that is to attack the preservation of the crime scene, to allege that the crime scene was contaminated, that the roommates were in there for many hours before they called 911, 
Uh, investigators weren't properly trained. For example, Martha, I don't know if you know, but Coburn's uh, defense lawyer filed a, a discovery motion to get training records of some of the investigators. Why is that important? Because that signals where they're going. They're going to say, you all were not properly trained on how to preserve a crime scene, and you allowed it to be contaminated, and, and, and therefore, a jury can't rely on this evidence. And I expect Koberger to, to try to even attack the, the manner in which that knife sheath was tested, right, to get his DNA on it. All that said, uh, look, if, if the trial's not going well for Koberger and it's time for him to make a decision, how does he not get up on the stand and explain to the jury, for example, hey, what were you doing, like you said, months before in your car near these, this girl's apartment? What were you doing? Can you explain that? Can you explain where you were the night of the, the murders? Can you explain why, for example, your phone was turned off for hours when these murders occurred? I mean, if he goes deathly silent on that, I don't see how he's got a chance in heck yeah. of getting one juror for a hung jury. Well, that yeah, that that's that's the question. I think about the Alex Murdoch case, which we all just watched really closely. And in these cases now, phone evidence is is huge. It's such a building block of breaking down people's movement and showing where they were at any given yep. moment. And, it, and it's extraordinary. And I expect, given this quadruple murder case, it's going to play a big role in, in this case as well. Um, it's, you know, it, it's an absolutely... Yeah, Mar yeah, go hey, Martha, ahead. Your, yeah, to your point, that, that proves what's called consciousness of guilt, right? Happened in the Murdoch case, too critical evidence in, in, in yeah. murder cases like that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So this case is set to go to trial on October the 2nd. Um, and as you say, they're going to try to implant a little bit of doubt, some reasonable doubt based on the way that the police responded, the preservation of the crime scene, anything that they can do to place some doubt into at least one juror's mind will no doubt be the project of this defense team uh, with Brian Koberger, who today just sat there silently and didn't even put in a plea of not guilty, which I think some people might look at and go, well, does that mean he's guilty? Um, but you, you interpreted it as he's just sort of, you know, thumbing his nose at the he's whole arrogant. system. Arrogant. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, he's arrogant. You guys don't know what you're talking about. I'm not dignifying this with a response. The Untold Story continues right after this. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. So before I let you go, let me ask you about another case which made the front page of the New York Post today because there's ongoing fascination with Jeffrey Epstein, who... It was determined by medical examiners that he strangled himself. He hung himself in his jail cell in Manhattan after he had been accused of a myriad of sexual offenses of mostly underage young women in Miami, in New York, on his plane, on his island, all of this. And the cover story today is about a friendship, I guess you could say, a relationship on some level, business relationship between Bill Gates and Jeffrey Epstein. Now, the Gates folks are saying, you know, that they basically wanted nothing to do with him. They had interactions over several years as he was seeking philanthropy, money and all of this. But it centers around what is alleged to be an affair between 
bridge champion Mila Antonova and Bill Gates, and that Epstein was sort of, um, I don't know, what word would you use? Like, you know, almost extorting him for money to pay for her uh, software engineering education because Epstein had promised to pay for it, and now he wanted Gates to pay for it and sort of hung his knowledge of their relationship over Gates's head. What's your take on all this? Yeah, so Martha, I, th- this is really fluid. I see this a couple of ways. I mean, Gates meets Antonova, a beautiful Russian woman at a at a bridge tournament. And then she posts a video in 2010 saying, hey, I didn't beat this guy, but I was kicking his leg under the table, right? I mean, come on. That's suggesting that they're flirting a bit. And that's how that was perceived. Mm-hmm. That's 2010. Now, and then in 2011, uh, Gates is taking trips, visiting places with Epstein. Uh, and in fact, I believe it was in either 2011 or 2013. Gates goes to Norway with Epstein to meet a, a, one of the Norwegian officials to possibly get a Nobel Peace Prize. So so on one hand, for Gates's people to say, hey, wait a minute, you know, this dude Epstein was just a, you know, a casual acquaintance. It doesn't look like that was truthful. Right. They really did have a deep relationship. But then Antonova meets, uh, she meets Epstein in 2013. She asks Epstein for some money for this software programming boot camp, right? And, and Epstein actually gives 500 grand to Antonova's campaign. And then she stays in Epstein's apartment in 2014. So one's, one's saying to themselves, what is she doing hanging out at Epstein's apartment in 2014? And then, and then fast forward to this J.P. Morgan thing, Martha. I think that was that was really instructive. 2014, Epstein is sending mountains of emails to these top J.P. Morgan people, trying to set up a multi-billion-dollar fund, and using Gates as as the guy, like like Bill Gates wants mm. this, he's committed to this, it's making it look like Epstein and Gates are in bed together. But Gates wasn't cc'd on any of those emails and JP Morgan didn't invest, but it really looks to me like Epstein was trying to get back at Gates. And then he sends that email in 2017 asking for his money back, that $500,000 back uh, that he paid to Ansonova. Yeah. Um, Just because of the nature of this story, when you say that they were in bed together, you just mean that they were in cahoots. (laughs) Okay. Right. Let me let me zip just to that clarify, up, right. because yeah. it could be anything in this story. Any, I'm not saying anybody was in bed together. They, um, they had a relationship together. Yeah, no, they <laughs> they, they definitely uh, there's a lot of back and forth in these emails and all of this. And the, the J.P. Morgan point is uh, a very interesting one as well. What's your when you look at this case and, you know, a lot of people, there are still people out there who don't believe the medical examiner's report. The FBI also looked into this and they right. both said he committed suicide in that jail cell. But he Mm -hmm. had a lot of information on a lot of people. I remember the FBI leaving his Manhattan residence after he was busted. They had broken into his safe and they were pulling all of these black books and information and all this stuff out of there. We never really saw what they found there, Brian. So do you think that there are a lot of powerful people out there who really hope that all of that stays quiet? And do you think there's anything untoward in how it's all being kept quiet? Yeah, Martha, I'm, I'm deeply troubled. Uh, you know, I work on a lot of sex abuse cases and I'm really troubled as to why this information hasn't come out sooner. Number one, and to your point, 
there has to be a lot more information. If the Fed sees a black book, what's in there? Mm-hmm. And, why, and why, for example, is it being revealed now about this Bill Gates situation? Why, why didn't that come out sooner? And, and that my next question is, did just, just, just saying Maxwell have anything to do with this? Remember, she didn't testify at her trial. She was convicted as being a cohort. And remember, remember, Martha, she said after I was convicted, after she was convicted, oh, well, there's a lot more to come from this that I'm going to get out there. And I even told you, I think, on your show, why didn't she get that out there beforehand? Why hasn't anybody? Now it's all now it's dribbling out. But why, why isn't there some kind of a separate investigation on the feds? The, the, the feds must have this information. Why is it being protected? Uh, number one. And then number two. To your point about this suicide, this is an interesting fact. I'm not sure you're aware of. Four days prior to uh, Epstein dying, whether it's by suicide or otherwise, he changed in his will the executor to a guy named uh, Boris Nikolic. And Boris Nikolic was Gates' top advisor. Mm -hmm. So there's some circulation going around now that, that Epstein did that on purpose to retaliate against Gates to show that Epstein and Gates were a lot tighter than people think. But that, but the reason I mentioned that too is maybe uh, maybe Epstein did kill himself if he's changing his will four days prior to nah, killing yeah, himself. Yeah, that's a good, it's a good point. Um, but I, I think a lot of people share your frustration, I do as well, with what happened to all of that information when Jeffrey Epstein died. Obviously it would have been, it would have played a big role in any legal process for him as he was moving forward, but it all just kind of went away. And why didn't Ghislaine Maxwell use some of what she knew uh, to trade information to perhaps get herself a more lenient sentence or get herself out if she made some kind of deal? So right. final thought. And now what about the political, what about the political world we live in now? Yeah. What about all the, you know, the DFK being so infiltrated with, you know, left wing you know, ideas and protecting Hunter Biden and the Biden family. So it makes me wonder, and I'm sure a lot of people across the country are wondering, you know, maybe there was something in that black book that involved, I'm not saying, I don't know for a fact, but what if there was something in there regarding, you know, Democratic officials or or relationships involving high level or Republicans Democrat or anyone else? Owner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, yeah. it, it raises a ton of questions. And I remember the young women, a couple of them in interviews saying that he kept meticulous notes on who who was coming and going and who they were with That's when true. they were coming and going, likely for the purpose of holding this over their heads, which is kind of, you know, in general, what we're seeing here in the Gates thing. It's more business related, it appears to be, than uh, related to any of these um, these young women. But uh, it, it is a fascinating story, and uh, it's good to dig into a, a bit with it today. Brian, thank you very much. Always good to talk to you. We'll, see, we'll be watching these two cases, um, the Epstein story as it unfolds, and the Brian Koberger quadruple murder case, which will get underway in October. Thank you, Brian. Okay, thanks for having me, Martha. You've been listening to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Make sure to rate and review. For more podcasts, go to foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with the Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. 
I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.